0: Welcome to Strong Black Legends, the show where we give flowers to the legends of film and television, brought to you by Netflix and Strong Black Lead. I am your host, pre-People's Choice Award winner, Tracy Clayton, and today is a happy day, friends. One might even say it's an oh, happy day. (laughs) I know y'all know about Bill Duke, but, y'all know about Bill Duke?
1: I mean, I travel a lot. In Brussels, Belgium, and different countries, right? Uh-huh. Out of all the movies I've ever made, and acted in or directed. hmm The one thing these kids come up to me and say is that,
0: On this show, I have had the benefit of talking to some of my favorite faces on the screen like Lynn Whitfield, Loretta Devine, and Jason Weaver Clayton. Um, we have officially decided to hyphenate because my boo is so progressive. <laughs> I'm just like Beyonce knows Carter. And my next guest, Bill Duke, is one of them too. I mean, everybody knows about his work in Car Wash, and we all have a special place in our heart for that one scene in Menace to Society, But more on that later, I promise. But what I love about Bill Duke is that he not only works his magic on screen, but he is also a prolific director. Did you know that? Hmm? Did you? Did you know that he directed episodes of TV shows, including Dallas, Miami Vice, which I used to love watching with my mother. Oh, my gosh. And Hill Street Blues, which, again, my mother was obsessed with. And movies like A Rage in Harlem, Deep Cover, Hoodlum, and the immortal classic, the hit that sticks like grits. Sister Act 2, back in the habit. Oh, the people are going crazy because anybody who's anybody loves this movie. Ah, Sister Act 2 is a gift that just keeps on giving. First of all, it is very rare that you find a sequel that, if I'm allowed to say this, like we're family, Right is better than the first one, Sister Act 2 is kind of that. I mean, uh, it had had the the hits, had the jams. Sister Act 2 was basically the Mickey Mouse Club for black people when you think about it because 1993 is the year that this came out and it's also the year that Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, Christina Aguilera, and Britney Spears were over on the Disney Channel doing what they do. And over on Sister Act 2, you had Lauren Hill, you had Jennifer Love Hewitt, oh yes, she was in there, Terry Vaughn, who played LaVita on The Steve Harvey Show, which she deserves so many awards for, Tanya Blunt, remember her, and Lauren Hill singing His Eyes on the Sparrow, which is the only version that I will allow. There was Ryan Toby from City High, there was Dee Dee Hall from Steven Universe, and probably a bunch more that I'm forgetting. So we had so much fun talking about this and other stuff, and I'm going to get out of the way so you can listen to it. Bill Duke, how are you?
1: Very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you
0: for sharing some time with us. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. So let's just get into it. I learned during prepping for this interview that you were dyslexic as a child. I have a cousin that was dyslexic, but beyond that, it was just like a word that I heard thrown around as a kid, you know? What does it feel like? Because it seems very stressful to have a trouble to have trouble reading in school where the basis is reading. So what must that have been like for someone who loves to create?
1: Well, dyslexia doesn't go away. Mm. So I still have dyslexia, but it overcompensates for itself in that um, even though you have trouble reading, um, it... There's something else to the brain. I had a photographic memory. Really? And so I didn't speak well. And so I went to Roger's thesaurus and memorized most of the thesaurus. I'm sorry? You memorized? Most most of the Roger's thesaurus to sound like Ah, I was not dyslexic. I see. And so that was my technique. But dyslexia, um, in those days, they didn't know what dyslexia was. Mm. And so in uh, kindergarten and junior high school, there are three categories of readers. Okay. The eagles, the bears, and the donkeys. Oh, no. And I was a donkey.
0: <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> well, they,
1: well, they were, they were trying tried, tried to in, inspire the donkeys to be eagles. Yeah. But once you're a donkey...
0: You you just feel like a donkey, stay a donkey. You stay know? And it's like donkeys cannot physically become eagles. This doesn't make sense.
1: Well, that was their intent. They, yeah. they didn't know any better in those days. But mm-hmm. to overcome it, Roger's thesaurus really helped me in a lot.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. The photographic memory is amazing because I couldn't tell you what I had on before I had this on today. So, <laughs> And I think that is an amazing coping mechanism and coping strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and another coping strategy that you had was writing, right? In journals, you would yes. write poems and poetry.
1: What would you write about? I write about um, things that I thought were important um, mm-hmm. from a human perspective. First, um, I was tall, dark, and I was awkward, dyslexic. And so I didn't have many friends. Mm. And so I wrote my feelings, everything down on this, this journal. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, um, it gave me the ability to express myself because mm. I couldn't. Sometimes as I wanted to totally do it verbally mm-hmm. without being over Roger the source <laughs> uh, So I just wrote my thoughts and feelings down in journals.
0: Uh-huh I definitely identify with that because as a kid I was so like painfully introverted and shy and probably had like actual diagnosable anxiety mm-hmm. and I think I gravitated toward writing because I was like, I can say what I want here. there's nobody mm-hmm. to judge me if I say it wrong or spell mm-hmm. it wrong or what have you. So I definitely identify with that. Um, I had tons of journals. You had a journal, and there was a teacher named Miss Walker who found one of your journals. A little bird told me.
1: Interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would you care to share this story?
1: I'd come up in a segregated 1943 atmosphere of segregation. Um, on the way from church one day, when my sister and I were like seven and eight, I think, uh, we were beaten. My, I was beaten by some white bikers. Oh my gosh. And, um, they called me everything from nigger to whatever it was. And I ran home, told my father. Um, he got his gun and rode around looking for him. My sister and I would see them, but we would not tell him mm. that we saw them because he would have killed them. Yeah, you were saving his
0: life. Yeah. Mm.
1: And then there were some incidents that occurred that my first day in kindergarten, I was called names nigger, spook, whatever.
0: Kindergarten.
1: Kindergarten, my first day. Uh, and so I um, went home and I uh, got in the bathtub and tried to wash the black off on my skin with Babel. It's Babel Cleanser. What is that? It's a cleanser that's like, um, it cleans uh, bathtubs and everything, you know?
0: So it's not a skin cleanser?
1: No. it's oh. It's for cleaning bathtubs and stuff. And oh, sinks. my heart. So I tried to wash it off and it wouldn't come off. So I tried to drink some bleach. My mother came in the bathroom just in time. Uh, so I I... I I wasn't find of white fond of white people at that time sure. because of what had happened and see my family go through. My mm-hmm. uncles came from the war. They fought for this country and they couldn't ride on buses. They couldn't do anything that white people did. So I had a real mm. in a way I was a racist because everybody was put under the same thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, in English class I wrote my journal in the class and Miss Walker told me several times, do not write in your journal. When you're in my class, mm. I just fight her. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the last days of classes, um, she said, "Come here." She took my journal. Oh no! And I said, um, "What are you doing?" And she said, "I told you, get out." So I was so angry, and I left. The next semester, at the last class, uh, English class, I was leaving the class, and Miss Walker um, said, "Come here." I said, "I'm leaving." She said, "Get over here." <laughs> So I said, okay. She said, sit down. I sat down. She went to her desk. She pulled out my journal, gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And she gave me this book. The book was the National Poetry Contest, and she had entered my poems into the contest, and I got recognized. Wow. And that confused me. Confused. Say more. What was yeah, confusing about she, it? Well, she was white. <laughs> and she's not supposed to be kind or do anything positive. She's not supposed
0: to care about and yeah. she wasn't
1: supposed to care. Um, a second sim- similar incident happened when I was in Dutchess Community College. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there for two years and I went to BU, got a Martin Luther King scholarship. Didn't have enough money to pay room and board. And so I was gonna come back to Poughkeepsie where I'm from and just um, you know, work for a year or so and then go back to BU. Mm-hmm. I went up to Dutchess to see a friend of mine, the president, um, Dr. Hall. General from the Navy, etc., and very strict, and no one really liked him, but he was a great, you know, mm-hmm. principal. And so he sees me walking down the hallway, and uh, he says, Duke, come here. I said, Dr. Hall, he said, went <laughs> to my office. Going to his office, I said, um, he said, how are you doing at BU? I said, Mike, I'm doing okay. He said, uh, I hear that you're thinking about dropping out of BU um, and coming back here to work. I said, I'm gonna do it. He says, no, you're not. Mm. So, I said, I got to go. He says, wait a minute. This is a white man. Mm-hmm. Goes into his jacket pocket, gives me an envelope. He says, open it. He opened it. There was a check. And it paid for my room and board for three years. Wow. Confuse me again. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, Wait a
0: What are y'all up
1: to? I'm supposed to hate you, man. What the hell? He's is going on? Trust you. Right. So you can come back That's and right. get me. I
0: know what that is. Um. <laughs> so, how long did it remain confusing for you when things like that happened? Like, what did once you, if you got over the being confused part, what did it mean that Miss Walker? your poetry in and did a nice thing for you and
1: then what did it do that you won well it showed her humanity number one Mm -hmm. and her caring for me it gave me a sense of self-confidence a sense of Mm self-worth because i was just writing for me before Mm -hmm. but to have Mm -hmm. someone else appreciate what i've been writing it's a whole different, it means you can communicate Yeah. through writing. Mm-hmm.
0: Which mm-hmm. means you can communicate when you don't think can there's another way that you can.
1: If you're dyslexic, you don't think you can communicate well. Mm-hmm. But once somebody confirms that you can, it changes your life. Mm. Awesome.
0: I just love that story so much. So what do you think, or how do you think your life may have been different if she had never taken that notebook? I'd probably still be in Poughkeepsie. Mm. Well, I'm glad that she opened that
1: notebook. So much. My-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad that she ignored your right to privacy. And That's, just- <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> so, given that you are a poet, you must have been quite a creative child. What led you from poetry to movies? Well, um... And in between that, there was stage acting, yes, some plays. Yes, um, mm-hmm.
1: this was... Um- Constance Kuhn, another white female. Mm. I was in her speech and drama class, and she said, I see something in you. I said, what are you talking about? She said, I'm gonna, we're going to do a play called The Emperor Jones by Eugene O'Neill. Mm. She put me in a lead role. I had never acted before. But once I did it, something happened. You know, It's hard to explain. You, know? and you find something that connects to you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's not words to explain it. But something happened. I was on that stage. Mm-hmm. But in those days, the only black actor of significance was Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. There were no major black directors, really. And so my parents said, you're being impractical. Right. And they said, you're going to be an English teacher because you write. So I went off to Boston University with a Martin Luther King scholarship and got in. And I'd fallen asleep the third time in my Chaucer class.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, it's
1: Chaucer. I don't I don't fault you for that. <laughs> Chaucer. I mean, God bless him, but you know what I'm saying? Best nap <laughs> I ever had, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and I got kicked out of the class. And my roommate, Joe Hicks, says, You always talk about that acting thing. You should go up." Boyd Richards, is up in the head of drama. I said, I went up, I auditioned, and got in.
0: Mm. So there's this idea, a true idea, that, and this is why representation is so important, is that you can't be what you can't see, right? Like, if, if you don't see a black woman, a uh, cowgirl, and I wouldn't think that that was a thing that I could be. And so you said that you'd seen Sidney Poitier, who was the biggest, most notable Black actor. Did any part of you say, what's the point? You know, they don't let us be actors. You know, Sidney got in through the back door or something.
1: You know, it's, it's a good question. You know, um, most of my, my family worked two jobs. At least my father worked three. My mother worked two. Mm. And they didn't like what they did. But they did it for their families and stuff. And what did they do? My father worked in the deal with the Separator Company, started off as, uh, you know, just taking coal and put it in the furnace. And he was a brilliant man. Mm. He became the manager of the shop. Mm. Uh, my mother um, cleaned houses mm-hmm. and was a nurse at the mental hospital. And watching them go through what they went through, there's something about when you find your passion, mm-hmm. you can follow it or not. But once I found it, you know, I, I followed it mm-hmm. and it was f- fulfilling, confusing sometimes and difficult, but I never wanted to let go because I knew that was for, it was for me. Mm-hmm. And I've been through a lot, but when you find it, it's a different thing. Yeah. Mm.
0: So you found that passion and you followed it to Tish University? Is that how, am I saying it right?
1: <laughs> in my, NYU my School of the Arts? Yes. Tisch,
0: yes. 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 Okay. Boston well,
1: University first, and then, then then I followed Lloyd Richards, who was my mentor to Tish to the school. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is the um, uh, what's the musical? Fame was it like? Fame that was the the movie, right? With the kids dancing yes, and singing. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. is that what the school was like? Because in my head, that's exactly
1: what it was like. The first semester, um, you had to take all these different courses, and ballet was one of them.
0: You had to take ballet
1: in tights. Mm. I'm glad there's no YouTube then. <laughs> I'm very regretful that there was no YouTube <laughs> no, well, I'm glad there was no YouTube then. <laughs> me, because the ballet floor in tights was not a pretty sight. <laughs> so. Did you enjoy it? I can't say. It was a, you know, it expands your way of thinking about things, but I was not good at it. It's just, mm-hmm. but I'm, you know, it's part of growing.
0: And at, par- at parties you can bust out a pirouette? If the small talk dries up a little bit, hey, watch this.
1: You see, we were getting long-distance for that.
0: I thought that was good advice. (laughs) If I could pirouette, that's what I would do. I'm not a pirouetter. Uh, uh, Sorry. Well, um, you have the dignity and air of one. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so everybody's pirouetting down hallways and, and is just super, super talented. Was there any pressure to stand out? In a school of standouts?
1: Well, we had great teachers. Mm -hmm. um, And the student body was really powerful. Some great people came out of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you, NYU and AFI, your good is not good enough. Mm. They want you to be excellent. That's stressful.
0: (laughs) I'm already stressed. What I'm saying? Mm -hmm.
1: And they push you and push you and push you and push you. And that pushing was the best thing that happened to me. And I was, the reason I was prepared for it is because of my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, when I was a young man, um, on Saturdays, um, the other kids were playing basketball, football, whatever. I had to mow the lawn, a half acre. A half acre? By hand.
0: Wait, by hand? By hand. What does that
1: mean? A lawnmower. Oh, okay. I had to push the lawnmower.
0: Okay. You said by hand, and I was like, "With scissors?" No, no, not big. No, <laughs>
1: that
0: might have been child of no. you.
1: I wouldn't be here now if that was the case. I
0: can't. I can't. You no, probably no, still, no, be no, no, still be mowing that lawn.
1: still <laughs> be Push it by hand, and when I finished the lawn, he would um, say, Are "You finished?" I said, "Yes." So let's go. So he'd go back over the lawn. If I had missed one patch, it was called a skip. Uh huh. If I missed one patch. I had to do the entire lawn over again. What? And I was so upset. I w- I was angry, you know, everything, you know. And one Saturday after doing the lawn and I do it over again, mm-hmm. I confronted them. I said, "Mrs. Johnson, you know, has skips in her lawn, and and no one's what What's the big deal?" Mm-hmm. And the response is, was, "I guess you'll be staying with Miss Johnson from now on." <laughs>
0: And how was life at Miss
1: Johnson's? <laughs> I, I did it long. <laughs> but, you know, I can say today, based on what my father did, mm-hmm. he's responsible for my standards of excellence today. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, if
0: nothing else, I'm certain it gave you a good work ethic. Good is okay. But not good enough.
1: Excellent is a whole different standard.
0: So now you have this amazing Teflon work ethic. And it takes you to Broadway, plays off-Broadway?
1: Yes. Uh, No, I was first off-Broadway with the Nero Ensemble Company. Mm -hmm. And then uh, due to the great Gilbert Moses, um, uh, I did a a play called Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death by Melvin Peoples. Mm, I've heard of that name before. Yes. People don't know this, but he was the only black director ever to have two shows on Broadway at the same time. Really, and um, and he was a, he was a Wall Street guy, mm-hmm. brilliant Wall Street guy. Huh, I still, didn't know he
0: was a Wall Street guy.
1: Oh yeah, Melvin was at Wall Street, made a lot of money and stuff. Uh-huh. And I was very fortunate in that way, but at the time, I was also uh, a drughead. Oh really? Drugs what was and your alcohol. Poison of choice. Oh, there were several. <laughs> <laughs> was there a
0: favorite poison?
1: Acid. Wow. In those days, uh, Timothy Leary and yeah, acid, um, little cocaine, hashish, mm-hmm. different kinds of things. Um, came this close to heroin. Mm. Ended up on the streets begging for money because um, I ended up paying my rent after the play. And mm-hmm. My friend, uh, Aida Tangamala, who's a transcendental meditation teacher, mm. said, "Bill, you're going downhill, you know to forget about one day I'm begging for money and uh, this older black lady passes by me I said ma'am do you have some she looked at me and passed by mm-hmm. I was asking another person for money and I had a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and there this older black lady was and she looked at me and she says son do your mama know you out here doing this mm. uh, that would have broke me I never begged for anything after that. Wow. She was like an angel that came from someplace. Mm -hmm. You know, God sends you things, you know?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it seems that you've had a lot of these amazing moments right on time. Do you? Do you ever question it? Do you ever wonder, like, am I particularly lucky? Am I, like, why me? Why have I had all of these amazing opportunities?
1: I know this is going to sound a little corny, but I... I'm not a church person, but but I'm a religious person. I believe in God. Mm. And I think that God has something for all of us to do. Mm. Um, And we can listen or not. It's our option. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that there is divine intervention. I mean, I'm I'm into quantum physics, and I love quantum physics because... Oh, gosh. It proves that there's something, there's a matter, and that matter has intelligence. And then the second thing is, you know, they just put on PBS that we not, not only do we know not know how many planets there are, mm-hmm. we don't know how many galaxies with this. A blip.
0: With this. Mm-hmm. That's a very scary thought to me, and I don't like that it's a scary thought. Why is it scary? It just makes me feel so small. And like, you know, what if the galaxy that I'm in now just poof one day, like I can't do
1: anything to stop it. That means you better have a good time now.
0: I know. That's right. And I'm Short. trying. <laughs> I'm
1: working on it. <laughs> every day. Every day. Do the best you can every day.
0: <laughs> well, I'm having a good time now. so oh, thank you. So I'm working on it. Let's talk about you as an actor. Car Wash, 1976. Richard Pryor. Garrett Morris. Danny DeVito. George Carlin. I can't imagine... Being in a, in a in the same, like, building, let alone the same room with such a star-studded cast. But here you are, like, with them, acting with them. Were you
1: starstruck? It, it, it was incredible. You know, um, I got put on the project by the great Michael Schultz and Ivan Dixon. Hmm. And being on that set, those wonderful people, Dan DeVito, I mean, George Carlin was one of my greatest Mm. I miss him. He was—I think he was a genius. I really do. Yes. Um, Richard Pryor. Um, I, I can't even express. He's my favorite comedian of all time. I, I just sent to my friends the classic Richard Pryor skit on Saturday Night with, with Chevy Chase.
0: Yes, I know the one you're talking about. That
1: was. It was genius. Brilliant it genius, was genius. Genius. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that really made me attracted to Richard Pryor one time was he came out of court after his second divorce and he was sobbing. Mm. And the reporter said, Richard, why are you crying? He said, man, she took everything but the blame.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I loved it, I loved it. Wonderful line, that is an amazing line. Speaking of amazing lines. Menace to society. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. You know the line. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I don't know how old I was when I first watched it. I was too young to watch it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get the appreciation then that I have now Mm -hmm. of the scene that you were in. And this is the only scene that you were Mm -hmm. in, as far as I know. That scene now defines nearly the whole movie. Like, that's the quote that you think about. When you think about minutes of society. Now, I know that you didn't come here expecting to work and do any coaching,
1: <laughs> but
0: I would love to deliver the line. <laughs> you can tell me how I did.
1: Okay.
0: Um, no pressure to tell me that I do great, but I'll cry if you don't say that. <laughs> so <laughs> all right, wait, I gotta get, I gotta get okay. So I'm you. <clears throat> now you know,
1: getting fucked up, right? Okay, cut um Now,
0: <laughs> I'm so scared.
1: <laughs> Let's try this again.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's okay. try this again. Okay.
1: But with no reflection, with just like a monotone. Okay. Okay. Focus, knowing you have a gun next to you, mm. and if he moves, you can shoot. If he, if he, if I move, you can shoot me. Mm. Okay. It's like you just saw your boyfriend.
0: <laughs> I'm listening now, I'm listening. <laughs> you got me going, what did he do <laughs> this time?
1: <laughs> you just saw him pass by with another young lady.
0: Okay, okay, And okay.
1: so you're in a restaurant mm-hmm. and he and you ask him a question, was he out on the street 20 minutes ago? And he said, no,
0: mm. and, you just, got it. and
1: you just so happened to take a picture.
0: Mm, mm
1: and you're holding the picture up and you're saying
0: it. Mm-hmm. So I got my phone. I don't have an actual prop, but I got the phone. It's like, you know you done fucked up, right? And scene.
1: Cut.
0: Yay! Done. Emmys. Done. Oscars. <laughs> flowers. Your flowers are mine now. <laughs> um, What does it feel like to be a meme and a GIF and to be all over the internet?
1: It's crazy, you know, it's like, I mean, I travel a lot in Brussels, Belgium, and different countries, right? Uh huh. Out of all the movies I've ever made and acted in or directed, mm-hmm. the one thing these kids come up to me and say is that.
0: Really? Yes. In Belgium? No matter where I am. Amazing. Oh, no, you don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> Does that ever bother you? Like, do you ever get tired? Like, I've done other things too, y'all. There are it's, other lines. It's,
1: it's, you know, it's, it's good. They, they loved the movie. You know, they loved what happened, and I appreciate their appreciation. Put it that way. Uh huh.
0: That's good. How about we talk about one of my favorite movies ever, okay. Sister Act two? Ah. I still know every song forward and backward. My producer and I were doing the like the actual dances <laughs> probably in public somewhere last night. Um, and when you think about sequels, I feel like it's rare that you like it at least as much or more than the original. And this is a movie where I'm like, the sequel was definitely better than the first. Mm -hmm. Love the first, but the, the sequel was just it. What was it like stepping in to make Sister Act Two? Because you didn't make the first one. So you're stepping into this fresh new franchise. I would imagine there would be so much pressure to match someone else's vision, you know?
1: It was terrifying, you know. It was hard because it, the first one was so successful mm-hmm. financially. It was really great. It was a good movie.
0: Yeah, it was really good.
1: And um, working with Whoopi Goldberg at the peak of her career, mm. it was, I'll tell you a story, true story, um, Whoopi interviews all the directors before. She works with them. So she had okay. this big place in Malibu. So I had to drive out to Malibu mm-hmm. and meet with her at her home.
0: And is this, this is a rare thing for actors to do, I assume?
1: No, directors. Or oh, for director sorry oh, yeah yeah so i go to her house and we sit down and have a conversation and she tells me about my work i talk about hers etc and we really get along well mm-hmm. and um she said you know um I have something for you and she and oprah winfrey are the biggest collectors of black memorabilia in the world
0: mm black memorabilia as in like like the little jolly nigger banks and stuff like that.
1: Banks and books mm-hmm, and pictures mm-hmm. and historical items, et cetera. And she went in to her um, her storage and brought out several things for me, which I framed and still have. Wow. And gave them to me as a gift. Really? I'll never forget that.
0: That is amazing. Yes. Where are they now? Are they on display? Framed, in,
1: framed in my home.
0: hmm I tried to become a collector of such things, but I don't have any money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I would go to like little flea markets and stuff. And so I found one of the, it's called a Jolly Nigger Bank. And you put a quarter in its hand and you push a button and it like. I have one of those. Do you? Yes. Mm, it freaks me out, but I it's on my bookshelf. And I just feel like it's important to just remind me of where I came from and what things were like then.
1: Well, you know, um, there's a book that I keep on my living room table. Mm-hmm. And I give it to all the young people that come to my home. They don't want to look at it, but it's called Without Sanctuary. I
0: have that book. It's rough, but I have it.
1: It's deep. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So it's all the lynchings, all the what they call nigger barbecues, et cetera. Oh, yes. The genocidal things that were done. And I never want to forget, because we've come a long way. We just have more to go, but... Mm-hmm. A lot of young people in our neighborhood, I mean, our kids, I don't, it upsets me, but they don't know who mega Evers was, mm-hmm. Rosa Parks, they barely know who Dr. King was. Barely. They know one thing that he said, if that. Um, and there's something very disturbing about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Your, your history is very important, but it's not being, they're taking black history out of schools and. I'm not saying we're better than anybody. I'm saying we're, we're as are.
0: important as anybody, for sure. Yeah, when you think about um, history and the parts of Black history that are held as, as sacred, I legitimately think that movies and culture like, to bring it back around, Sister Act 2, should be considered as like great pieces of Black history because they become such a formative part of our lives. So much so that I can't stop talking about Sister Act 2, <laughs> even though you've done so many other things. Um, so if you were to make Sister Act 2 now, um, who do you think you would cast as Lauren Hill? Like who, which singer do you think could play that role?
1: I I honestly can't think of anybody because she she did that i mean she did that so well mm-hmm.
0: but mommy do you even know i can sing yes. and so could your daddy but he died i'm trying to do it that's I did right it.
1: <laughs> no you're right it's yeah, just like
0: yeah yeah she he she, died out there trying Is what it was
1: yeah shirley mm-hmm. ralph and her and those scenes were i felt wonderful i was very fortunate to have them mm-hmm. also whoopy, you know the the scene in the, in the church chapel when she's singing the song with the other young lady the
0: piano. Oh, 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 his eyes on the sparrow. His eyes
1: on the sparrow. I can't my, tell you how many
0: um, middle school talent shows that song was sung at. Wow. Somebody would always take the top and then somebody would take the mm-hmm. bottom and sound terrible. <laughs> 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 but that is iconic. Yes. Oh, uh, so iconic. What was your favorite scene? Like, was there one scene that was more fun to make than others?
1: Well, there's a lot of funny moments, but um, I love the scene where Opie is disciplining her class and she comes in and she's being, uh, they're usually rioting and everything and this time mm-hmm. they were quiet. Mm-hmm. And um, she doesn't understand why they're quiet and they're all kind of snickering and stuff. And Where she sat on her desk in the chair, <laughs> they had put glue on the bottom of the chair. I remember. So she couldn't get up. <laughs> she ended up... Open that door, just rolling down the hallway.
0: (laughs) I feel like I know the answer to this, but do you think that being an actor makes you a better director and or vice
1: versa? I think that um, actors are the foundation for directors. I did a film many years ago with this young director and um, I was having trouble with the scene. I was saying, can you um, help me? Say yeah. He said, make it a little blue. Hmm. Blue as in. I have no idea. <laughs> and neither did he. <laughs> so it makes me a, a better director to know, to enable an actor to trust me. Hmm. Because acting, we should not call it acting, it's a being. Hmm. Say more. Because, well, you're you're it's not saying the lines, it's being who the author describes with the lines. Ah. And I equivocate acting as falling into darkness backward. That sounds terrifying and not fun. <laughs> it's terrifying. But I cannot tell you the high mm. when you do it and something positive comes out of it. So mm-hmm. Yes, it makes me a better director on the creative side, but directing has two components. One is the vision, Mm -hmm. being able to work with an actor, et cetera, and translating that vision to sometimes hundreds of people, the crew, Mm -hmm. cast, et cetera. But the second part of directing is management. It's the management of three things. Time. Stressful. People.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. And money. I'm out. Oh, well, no, I can't manage money. I'm
1: just saying. (laughs) Three strikes. (laughs) Hey, you have to be able to manage time, people, and money. Yeah. And with your vision, so. Mm.
0: We've talked about your career's illustrious past thus far. Let's look ahead. Let's talk about what's what's next on the horizon. I hear that there is a movie with Netflix. Yes?
1: Yeah, there are a few things that are happening now. Um, I'm on a TV show called Black Lightning, a reoccurring role on that. We shoot in Atlanta. And we're on hiatus now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And my autobiography, uh, Bill Duke, forty years on screen and behind the camera. Please tell folks to check that out.
0: Wow, you, you may tell them to check the check yeah. it out right now.
1: Check it out. It's on Amazon. Uh, Bill Duke, forty years on screen and behind the camera, and it deals with my career and my life, and it gives little nuggets of information to people coming into the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to New York um, to a premiere of my latest film, which is High Flying Bird, mm. uh, directed by the great Steven Sodenberg. It's the second film I've done with him. The first one's called The Limey. Limey? The, the Limey. The Limey. Years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is called High Flying Bird. It's about the politics of basketball. Oh. Uh, what was fascinating about that experience, and you have to go online and look at the trailer he shot the entire film, what I think was five iPhones. Mm-hmm.
0: I've heard that people do that. I've even seen the movie Tangerine You you that was shot with the
1: thing, and I still to, don't believe it. it. It's it's incredible. And yeah. then for the dolly shots, moving shots, they put them in a wheelchair and rolled them around. It was an amazing experience.
0: And now it's time for that part of the show called Tracy's Flowers. And this is where Tracy gives flowers to a black thing or person that she really, really likes and thinks that they deserve flowers. This week, my flowers go to drum roll please. R and B groups. Yes, yes, R and B groups. Not just R and B groups, but boy groups and girl groups. Where did they go? They don't exist anymore. See if you can think of one. See like who 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 is today's boys to men? Who's today's in vogue i'll wait see you couldn't think of nobody i couldn't either but you know what i can think of boy and girl groups from the 90s let me just see how many i can think of off the top of my head right now there is um playa which is louisville kentucky's own um i really encourage everybody to check them out they're so good um they're 702 h town black street guy in vogue Tony, 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 SWV, Moke and Steph, even if their single was a little problematic. (laughs) There was Brownstone, Black, Destiny's Child, maybe you've heard of them, Drew Hill, New Edition, Mint Condition, Escape, Jodeci, Next, TLC, Shy. I was so in love with Garfield. If you're still out there, call me. High Five, Portrait, and Sister, which you may or may not know was Missy Elliott's group, Missy Can Sang, as you know, and she had her own group. Like, where'd they go? In this entire boy and girl group ecosystem, at the very, very, very top, you have what I like to describe as like a um, an angelic, like R and B, like uh, Voltron, transformer, like Lego type super choir, right? Of all of your favorite people, and I'm I'm talking about like if we were to do this today, it would have to include Beyonce, Rihanna. Ariana Grande, like all all of your faves, all of like the top paid people in the music business right now, basically. So imagine, imagine all of those people in one place in a choir singing together at the same time. You will know, for example, by Black Men United. It was everybody. It was Tevin Campbell, Elder Bars, Gerald LeVert, et cetera, et cetera. And they got together to make a song called You Will Know for the Jason's lyric soundtrack. And it was it was amazing. But but there's another super choir song that I feel like number one deserves a lot more attention than it's gotten. And number two is a little too relevant right now.
1: We will not bow down to all. racism. So the year is
0: 1995, right? Mario Van Peebles made and directed the movie Panther, which is about the Black Panther Party. And on that soundtrack is a song called Freedom. All of your faves, faves were in this song, in this group. I'm talking about like Aaliyah. Have you heard of Aaliyah? Amel LaRue, Mary J. Blige, Brownstone, SWV, Michelle Cello, Patra. You remember Patra? Janae. Like this song is about freedom and it's being sung by a bunch of black women and it's so Powerful like Monica. Okay, Monica at the time was 13 14 years old. The line that they gave adorable young sweet Monica was Now I may not know a hundred percent what that means, but damn okay can you imagine making somebody ashamed of their ancestors like this is more than yay we're black women and it's okay this is like no we are black women and we are going to take our freedom and we need this now unfortunately like it's been over 10 years and you know what they say the more things change the more they sound the same can i get amen Yay man, yay man. I also want to point out that it was written by the amazingly talented Joy Gilliam, who is an amazing songstress and writer, so good. It feels like a church service, it's good for your soul and your spirit, and then you can go out in the streets and you have a new theme song while you fight the man in the system. And that was the amazing Bill Duke, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us and listening this week. Thank you again to my new acting coach, Bill Duke, for making my complete day. And I really hope that we made yours, too. You can follow Bill Duke on Twitter at RealBillDuke, spelled just the way that it sounds. This show is produced by Strong Black Lead and Netflix with Pineapple Street Media. Our music is via DJ Don Will, the hardest working DJ in the podcast business. You can follow him on Twitter at Don Will. I have been your host, Pre-Essence Magazine cover girl Tracy Clayton. In essence, if you are listening, call me. Let's make this happen for real, for real. And you can find me on Twitter and all the socials at Brookie McPoverty. Please come and say hello. I like talking to people. And while you're on Twitter, make sure you follow Strong Black Lead on all of the socials at Strong Black Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please spread the word, enjoy, and tell a friend to listen to the show. Please rate and subscribe to Strong Black Legends on all the Apple Podcasts, all the Spotify's, and wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time, y'all keep shining like the colors of Vanessa Williams's Wind. Y'all remember when she's when she did the Colors of the Wind song for Pocahontas? Huh? Y'all remember the right the right stuff? Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Babe, okay. She's an icon. She's a legend. I gotta go. Bye. I'm still a heathen, <laughs> but I will come and join the chorus, though. Okay.